Chapter 21 Since you were the one to recognise what this was just by looking at that creepy wall of holes, do you have any other information to share? It was Taryn who brought them away from the quiet, uneasy breakfast of bread and dried fruit and into the imminent. The question was directed at Lidikai. Well, he started, realising it was the first thing he had said since waking up and nearly choked on his own saliva as a result. He made a face. None of it is experience. It is... What I've read. What we are taught regarding them. I don't know how relevant any of it is going to be. Taryn couldn't help leaving her concentrated, problem-solving mindset in favour of giving Lidikai two raised eyebrows and a cocked head. Lidikai just waved at her, not in the mood. Difficult to focus as it was, he continued. What I mean is that it might be more dangerous to go in there with faulty information than with no information at all. The three of them were standing at the edge of the forest, staring out into the angry drizzle the fickle breeze threw around in the air. It was barely possible to make out their destination in the mist the humidity created. All three of them had put on grey wooden gugles, which had previously hung from their belts, unutilised. Now, both the weather and the situation seem the right time to keep your face in shadow. Combined with the wardmole cloaks they were all wearing over their clothing, they looked like three differently shaped grey little cones emerging from the rocky ground. If we know it's possibly faulty, we're fine, Taryn said, crossing her arms with a small huff. Vesh nodded in agreement. The tiredness from the exhausting endeavour the day before was nowhere to be seen. His dark eyes shone in the shadow of the hood, alert, efficient, ready. Lejikai felt calmer and keener simultaneously when he looked at his two friends. He took a deep breath. Gadea, you probably know parts of this, but I would just relay everything I have thought about and you can fill in if anything jogs your memory. He felt adrenaline trickle under his skin at the prospect of everything that might happen and tried to tell his body to calm down, to rein it in until it was needed. Mistmares live in hives. From what we know, they employ captured ori to dig out their nests, which are like large-scale formicaries, um, ant hills. He corrected himself at seeing Taryn's inquiring eyebrow. She nodded for him to continue. Studies show that mistmare hordes tend to consist of 10 to as many as 100 individuals, but also that the larger the horde, the shorter its lifespan, as mistmares are prone to infighting while forming the hive mind structure for which they are known and feared. While talking, Lidika felt his old life hanging like a worn, damp cloth on him. Memories of old book smells, wax candles, alcohol... Early morning headaches, mediocrity, routine, weighed him down as he talked. No comfort in it, no help. He cleared his throat, but unsurprisingly, it didn't help this time either. Any, uh, fight strategies? Do we fight them? Is that what we do? Taryn said, sounding as if she couldn't believe she asked. 
or I don't know, handy ways to avoid fights, preferably. Setting fire to one end of the hive, hopefully catching them sleep and smoking out the rest, picking them off as they flee. Okay, you've obviously thought about that thoroughly, Taryn said. Only because it's not a viable option in this particular situation, and I can't think of another, Lady Kai muttered. Can we... is communication of any kind possible? Vesh said, eyes locked at the hill in front of them. Maybe, Lady Kai said reluctantly. The available accounts have suggested that any such approaches, however, have been... well, difficult. If I remember correctly, the unsettling nature of Mistmare communication in itself has caused Dory to become hostile. They do not, um, talk like we do. We're not as easily spooked as Ratuya, Taran grinned, eyeing Lady Kai, however much you pretend to be one. With that, she apparently decided that no amount of strategy was going to save them from what they were walking into and resolutely started marching out into the now more rain-like than mist-like weather. Vesh and Lijikai seemed equally dumbfounded by her sudden departure. They simply looked at her walking off into the haze in front of them for a while. Vesh chuckled suddenly, making Lijikai look at him. What will we do without her? Vesh said quietly, softly putting a hand in the small of Lijikai's back. Lidikai did his absolute best not to show the effect the touch had on him. Warmth spread across his entire back. Vesh looked up at him, gave him a nod, and hurried after Taran. With a shake of his head and a smile he found hard to get rid of, Lidikai followed them into the fog. Taryn could only remember one thing that reminded her of the situation. Years ago, over a long period of time, she had been robbed and cheated on multiple occasions by what she supposed could only be described as a rivaling grave robber. An, in hindsight, suspiciously gregarious Ori who Taryn had invited into her home once. Muili. Taryn had realised things were gone from her home for years after her stint with Muili, annoying things like tools and scary things like pages from notebooks. After having been found out by Taryn, Muili had gone into hiding, fleeing Taryn's considerable fury, and Taryn had pursued him. Muili had fled to a cave, which turned out to be his... well, his lair. Taryn remembered her exasperation at that, She didn't think that any necromancers actually lived in caves. But there she had been. Dodging hanging cadavers, obviously left for display, not to be utilised. Gagging on a smell she thought she had become used to. A pride-fuelled hunt had turned into a disaster that time. She had almost died. First by the encounter itself, and later by the sleeplessness the awful memories of it caused. It had firmly taught her the lesson that going after someone on their own turf is really stupid. She stared out into the wet darkness in front of her now, the rough rock under her hand, the only proper guidance forward. Apparently that near-death lesson had been left on a shelf somewhere, 
The fear of losing time and going into circular arguments had been the reason for her decision to act. They could speculate until the moons collided, but the fact of the matter was that they needed to do something, anything. Vesha told her that there were seldom reasons for ghosts to lie, especially the ones that were just imprints in the surroundings. That didn't change the fact that she needed to see for herself if Crow was actually here. Until she knew, she had an even harder time deciding on a plan. The complete darkness gradually, slowly, became a faint greyness around them. They were all slow to trust it, fearing it was a trick of the darkness itself. But it eventually turned out to be the warm glow of fires. The shadows it produced created a treacherous mockery of their surroundings, pulling at the shape of the walls, drawing creatures in its crevices. Besh had a faint glimmer of hope that they wouldn't run into mist mess at all, and that hope was based on the darkness. None of them had ever heard of Mares being able to see in the dark, but now he saw the glow of the fires, and along it he heard a quiet sewing. There were many things he tried not to think about. The likelihood of Crow being dead. The implications for Terran's situation with the Ender, should Crow be dead. Terran's hexbrand. The prospect of facing an Ender, whatever that might mean. How many mist mares there must be in these winding caves. He also noted that trying to not think about these things actually meant thinking about them a lot. They all knew that the increasing light meant they were closer to something. Said something finally opened up in front of them. An enormous hall. The tunnel they had followed quite a few ores height up the wall, which meant they were quite a bit above the floor they were looking down over. They crouched down low at the edge of the tunnel, hoping they resembled rocks at the opening, trying to make sense of what they saw, trying to decide what it meant. Fires burnt on torches and in bare heaps on the floor, bright enough for everything on the floor to be visible, but not enough to reach all the way up to where they were sitting, and definitely not all the way up to the tall, stalactited ceiling. Lydikai counted twenty or more ori-resembling torsos all more or less directed to one side of the room, to the left of where the three of them were lurking. There, on an intricate, massive construction of twigs, clay and rock, shaped like an amalgamation of a dealwood tree and a spider's body, a tree trunk with sprawling legs that seemed to move in the fluid shadows around it, hung Crow. Their arms were pinned, half-bent above their head, and their legs and torso were lashed around so tightly it looked as if they were trapped in a cocoon. Their head hung lifelessly on their neck, slumped forward, their thick black-blue hair a drapery covering their face. Even though Lidikai and his two companions were at least fifty ori's length away, and several ori's height above the whole spectacle, he could feel the dampening in the room. Something was preventing magic, then it created a hum around it, a friction in the air that caused the tiny black hairs on Lejikai's arm to stand. It was centred on Crow. There was a sound in the room that at first just resembled a light breeze, but that Lejikai soon realised was coming from the mist mares themselves. There was a constant murmuring among them, but nothing he could make out. 
A sudden wave of vertigo hit him, and he took a few careful steps back into the tunnel behind him, scared to fall into the room. He sunk down against the bumpy wall, taking a deep breath before whispering as quietly as he could manage. Anyone know what in Runa's name is going on here? The concern on Vesha's face and the angry chewing of a cheek that Taran was up to probably meant a no, Lydikai thought. They all scooted closer to each other, forming a little circle so they could talk as quietly as possible. I'm guessing, Taran said. Well, I'm hoping we can rule out that Crow's here by choice now. I could get us down safely, but what do we do once we're down there? Lydikai said. Depends on what they do. The mares, right? You met them before, Lydie. Were they chatty? No, Lydikai muttered. Or if they were, it was not something I noticed. Maybe they are more so when they're not in the middle of a raid. Whatever the case, they proved... Ultimately killable, at least. Taryn nodded, and Lydikai found himself surprised at her seeming so unmoved by his comment. I take it you also feel the hum, the dampening effect, Vesh said, after having been quiet up until now. Both Lydikai and Taryn nodded. It seems to be focused, centred on Crow. Should we try to remain unseen, hidden? While trying to reach the other end of the room, the side opposite that effect, perhaps. Taryn nodded more vigorously. Good thinking, yes. She edged closer to the end of the tunnel, peering out over the sea of mist mass. Lydica and Vesh followed suit. They seem pretty preoccupied, she said, noticing that the murmuring of the mares had started to seem more like a rhythmic, monotonous chanting. Oh, that's creepy, she added, mostly to herself. As Lydikai started to prepare for getting them down silently, the three of them noticed, as the chanting of the mist mares escalated, one single mist mare emerging from the group. It was paler than the rest, did not have the same long hair as them, and had a posture that made it seem larger, though it was unclear if it actually was. A prominent relatively new burn scar ran across the entire side of it and its whole scalp. It strode up to Crow's hanging body, arms outstretched, as if accepting the ongoing chanting as praise of itself. There was a smile on its face, devoid of happiness, as it turned towards the crowd. It looked as if it was preparing for a speech, but it simply stood there, basking in the now completely focused group of mares in front of it, joining in the choir, adding hoof stomps that the rest of the group quickly mimicked. The sound was going from loud to alarming. The noise meant that Taryn could speak at a normal tone of voice without any fear of being heard by the mass. And here I was hoping for an amorphous blob. Look at that creep, she hissed, grabbing Lydikai's arm as he signaled for her and Vesh to hold on to him. I saw that one before. It fled in Cairn. I'd hoped it might not have survived. He said to them with difficulty over the noise. Well, here's another chance, Taryn said loudly. Gracefully, Lydikide stepped off the edge of the tunnel and quickly but softly had them descend and land on the floor of the big hall. They were still far enough away from the group of mares and in enough darkness to not really have to fear being seen. 
but being at the same level as the hoard and below the dais the imposing altar branched out from made the situation seem absurdly dangerous in comparison to the overview they had had in the relative safety of the tunnel. Taryn was the first one who managed to snap out of the momentary breathlessness they had landed in, and she pulled at the cloak-covered arms of the other two to get them to move with her. The cacophony bouncing of the walls and ceiling made being quiet the least of their problems, but the noise was affecting them in a troublesome way. It didn't feel like magic. It was more the inner ear protesting. Lijikai felt as if he were balancing on a slack line in a gale. The chanting showed no signs of abating, and they eventually managed to get to the far side of the room without being noticed. All three of them tried not to focus too hard on the monstrosity Crow hung on, looking like a small, helpless speck from their position. The bodies of the Mistmares moved in unison as they stomped, and it felt bizarre to Lidikai to try and disturb this. Then he decided to look at Crow, made himself understand that that was a person hanging there, someone he would consider a friend. He forced himself to remember Crow's smiles, their guarded warmth that stubbornly seeped through their actions, and, if nothing else, their absolute right not to be hanging off that thing against their will. No one else noticed in this chaos, but every single fire in the hall drifted ever so slightly to the back of the hall, letting Lidikai know that they were unquestionably fully and eagerly his. What Taran and Vesh did notice was the dim golden glow of Lidikai's founts spreading like frost on a window pane across his body. They knew it would have to be their cue. Vesh swallowed at the sight. Taran grinned wildly. Moon's at your back, she cried, before letting her hexes paint her skin green, her founts joining in yellow. There had been nothing for her to work with at the tavern in Felhar, but this cave was basically a graveyard. Her magic unshackled the many bones in the corners of the hall, forced them to remember the shape their bodies once had, like a hundred sets of teeth loudly grinding together, Half-complete figures on everything from one to six legs came together in a broken menagerie of once-living things, responding to Taran's call. Through the unmitigated ecstasy the response spread through her, she noticed that the bones on the other side of the room were silent, deadened in more ways than one by the powerful nullification there. Vesh did things his way. He found the abstract spark of life in Terran's magic and deftly turned it into actual physical static. A play on words turned into the literal, stripped of subtlety, defying its intention. A parallel to her energies, not stealing, but mimicking, creating from thought. The crack of the lightning arching its way from his hands into the crowd of grey equine bodies attracted the attention of those few who had not reacted to the creaking of the bones of Taran's creations 
Now they all knew they were here. Violently. Lady Kai might have been the one who started the attack, but he was now stunned by what Vesh had just done. Despite everything that rapidly unfolded as an effect of it, Lady Kai was entranced by the delicate, concentrated movements by which Vesh deployed his practical abstractions. Simple. Effortless. Perfect. When Vesh momentarily relaxed, assessing the outcome of his actions, he caught Lidikai staring at the corner of his eye. The fire mage, covered in the glowing golden patterns of his active founts, did not avert his eyes. A stunned, exhilarated breath shot out of him. He was unable to hide how impressed, and quite a slew of other things, he was. Vesh met the welcome directness of Lidikai's emotions with a quick but sincere smile. Survive, he shouted to Lidikai, who thought that he would actually try and do precisely that. Then Lidikai let his mind seek the flames around him. He seeped into them like ice in water, latching onto them, commanding them to then send them out to singe the now maniacally yelling mistmares throwing themselves in his direction. There was a shudder of fear in him, an echo of memories, images of Egelin, of Felhar, but, to his own surprise, they did not master him. The rage was there, but not uncontrolled. It felt like a spear going through him, but one he could aim where he wanted. There was something at his edges, framing, calming, helping. The combined force of the three of them caused things to evolve quickly. Within ten breaths, they had decimated the horde in a flurry of fire, electricity, and the blunt pummeling of bones. The warmth of the mangled and burnt mist mass, some still gasping for their last breaths before oblivion, vibrated in the air. The three of them had moved forward in their onslaught, and now inched backwards again to escape the pull of the dampener field around Crow. There were only two mistmares left of the horde, and they were flanking their leader, who had been furthest away from the chaos. It was now staring at the result of the attack. Bewildered, stunned, furious. The leader's rusted trident hit the stone floor with a loud clang, and it bore its plate-sized hoofs into the rock underneath it, preparing to rush the three intruders. The smoke from Lydikai's flames dissipated in the moisture of the cave, clearing the air, making the mistmare leader see him, and a flash of recognition washed over its face. A grin followed a grin that froze Lidikai to the ground. With a roar, the mistmare leader reared and threw itself at the three of them, trident first like a lance. Vesh and Taran instinctively jumped to the sides, unconsciously expecting Lidikai to do the same when the large mistmare lunged forward. In the last breath, Vesh managed to catch a glimpse of Lidikai's fear-frozen state and stopped. His abrupt change of direction caused him to slip and the blood pooling out over the cave floor and he felt his calf pull too far, cramp, and his whole leg becoming useless. Shy, he hissed through the pain. 
reached out his hands and shouted a Helvir word for wind, hoping that anything would happen. Something happened. Lady Kai lost his breath as a harsh gust of wind knocked him a few or his length out of the way, the trident of the mistmare only grazing his arm as the leader plunged it towards him. Landing, Lady Kai thought he'd never breathe again, before painfully getting his breath back with a scream. He mustered a feeble attempt at standing in case the mistmare was after him. But a few of Taran's skeletal dolls had reacted to the leader's advance and was blocking its movement. It was furiously hacking away at them, reducing the reanimated skeletons one by one to the piles of bones they started out as. Looking around to locate the other two still living mares, Lady Kai saw one of them collapse behind Taran in a lifeless slump. She had now moved up to the last one left, managed to jump up on the back of it and stuck a dagger repeatedly into the side of its neck. Blood splattered over her, something she seemed to pay no mind to even though it obviously got in both her eyes and mouth. She kept on shoving the dagger into the mistmare from tip to health, even after it had gone down first on the bent of its forelegs and then dropping over on its side, dead. She stood up panting, hexes pulsating unevenly through the blood on her skin and clothes. She looked in the direction of the leader, who had now managed to put the walking bones around it thoroughly to rest. When it saw the final member of its horde go down, a sorrowful howl escaped the mistmare leader, sending a piercing chill through all three intruders in its lair. It threw itself at Vesh, who was the closest, still on the ground and trying to get control over his cramping leg. Both Taran and Lydikai saw what happened, and they both panicked as they realized that they wouldn't make it to his side in time. There was no chance. They both started running regardless, trying to gather up whatever magic residue was still around for them to utilize, but nothing was left outside of the dampening effect, the large fires within the nullified perimeter burning brightly, mockingly. Taran knew what Vesh would have to do, and she knew he would hesitate, perhaps for too long. You have to, she shouted desperately, hoping it helped, hoping it would keep him alive. Vesh stared into the eyes of the mist mare, the milky blood-stained white so wide open he could see the entire shape of the iris. Tears streamed down its face, mingling with the sweat and blood. Vesh could see the manic violence of it. Didn't want to know it better. Didn't want to take it in. Didn't want to feel it beyond the threat they had known it as. He heard Taran's shout. Knew she wouldn't have enough energy to bring him back in time, should he not stop the trident from going through him. He still hesitated. He heard a desperate, broken no from Lydikai, like the last piece of a breath going out of a living creature. Vesh sighed. The trident was half an oar's length from his chest. Fine. He closed his eyes and latched on to the pure energy that kept the hulking mistmare alive, 
to the cells of its being, to the decay that started at its birth. He grabbed hold of it, embraced it, demanded its submission, made time irrelevant, made progress relative. The cellular composition of the mare gave way, succumbed to Vesha's will, seeped from it, challenged the fabric of reality, mocked life itself. Lidikai froze at the sight, and Taran as well, even though she had seen this happen before. In front of their eyes, the Mistmare leader went from a deadly spear of living energy to old, to rotting away rapidly, to a pile of dust. A cloud of ashes descended above Vesh and landed on the ground around him. Taryn and Lidikai felt desperately aware of their own breathing, its sound, its movement, the effect it had on them. With a shaking hand, Vesh reached out into the ashes around him. A wailing, terrible, gasping cry burst out of him. Taryn ran her heart threatening to jump out of her at the sound Vesh let out, fell onto her knees and harshly pulled the screaming Ori into her arms. He let her, first limply, incapacitated by his emotions, but then he grabbed onto her sweat and blood-soaked cloak and buried his head against her chest. His cries turned into sobbing paroxysms in her arms. Lidikai watched them, seeing himself in Vesh like he had never seen himself in anyone. He had been embraced by Taryn in the same way, in the same state, though for other reasons. But he knew she would be able to handle that situation gallantly. As much as he wanted to be there as well, he forced himself to turn away, to face the immense sprawling altar filling up the room. He jogged through the spindly extremity-like protrusions around him. The dampening of magic was as claustrophobic as the half-circle of branches and clay he made his way further into. He felt simultaneously stripped and weighed down. It was difficult to breathe. He could hear his blood pumping through his veins, felt unbearably organic, and couldn't help seeing the decomposing mistmare in his mind's eye as he struggled forward. And then, he stood in front of Crow's body. They were bruised, and coagulated blood caused part of their dun skin to have a texture like sun-dried soil. But Lady Kai was happy to see that Crow wasn't in a worse state than this. Worst-case scenarios had taken him to very violent places. His hands trembled as he reached out to try and loosen the vines, lashing Crow to the wood around them. Without any magic to help his muscles do this, he felt unbearably weak. A few worries lengths behind him, he spotted the dagger Taran had used to fell the last two mistmas, and he went over to get it. Moving away felt like going up for air, but he quickly made it back. As he neared Crow again, the Ori stirred. Lady Kai jumped. Slowly, Crow inclined their head looking up through their stringy, greasy hair and, at seeing Lidikai, 
let out a sharp, hoarse breath. The sound turned into a cramp-like laugh resembling set of motions, a cough, a long exhale, a slow shake of their head, before they finally leaned back against the branches behind them to look at Lady Kai again. Can't be, they whispered hollowly. Lady Kai didn't know what he felt. His first pang had been embarrassment, which confused him. It might have been the way Crow looked at him, that challenging gaze he'd forgotten how it felt to have on him. As much as it confused him, he couldn't deny that he felt mocked for coming here. To escape being looked at directly, Lidikai moved to start working on the vines again. It took quite some effort to even begin to get through them, even with the help of the dagger. Through his motions, he felt Crow's laboured breathing become deeper and deeper the more of the vines Lidikai managed to get off. The skin underneath was grey from blood loss and had taken on the texture of its constraints. As Lidikai got to the last arm and cut it loose, Crow fell off, surprised at not having any control over their limbs yet, and Lidikai just barely managed to catch them. Crow held on to Lidikai, leaning at him, not into him, keeping a distance. After a few breaths, Lidikai seemed to notice a shift in the ori, and they suddenly looked straight at Lidikai with a jerk of their head. Their face broke up into a large, albeit notably exhausted smile, teeth and all. Legs finally able to keep somewhat steady, Crow pulled Lidikai into a harsh, not entirely comfortable hug. They smelled sour, like old sweat and decomposing plants. Then they tore away holding Lidikai by the shoulders in shaking arms that pretended to be steadier than they were, looking into his eyes. As I barely live and breathe. Very unexpected, Crow said, their low voice dry. Instead of using Lidikai as support, they were now leaning against a big blood-stained stone slab of a table that was propped up amongst the branches of the altar structure. They ran their hand over the surface, Lidikai couldn't help frowning at Crow. What a trustworthy impression I must have made, he said, turning to see if Taran and Vesh were still free of more mist mess. They were, and they seemed to be sitting in the same place as where he had left them. Turning back to Crow, Lidikai offered his arm as assistance again, motioning to Crow that they should move away from here. It's not you, it's me. Crow croaked with an attempt at the cheerful tone, taking Lidikai's offered arm. They limped at Lidikai's side until they reached the middle of the room, where the dampening effect was still pulling at Lidikai, but more like a hole you looked into than a depth you tumbled down. He was happy he could let go of the small fear that it had been Crow who was the source of the dampening. As Crow and Lidikai had limped over, Tyron and Vesh had made it off the cave floor. Taran was now walking towards Crow with a drive and speed that caused them and Lady Kai to stop dead in their steps. In a swift motion, Taran snatched Crow from Lady Kai's supportive arm and embraced them. Crow managed to respond with a hug back and a groan that sounded both of approval and pain. Sit down and let me look you over before we get out of here, Taran grunted as she let go of the hug, motioning towards the floor. Lady Kai stepped away looking around for Vesh, and found him standing a bit to the side, half sitting on another stone slab table. 
at meeting Lydikai's gaze. Vesh made an unsuccessful attempt at forcing the hollow staring off his face. He sighed as Lydikai made it over to him. Ash still stuck to much of the fogwalker's clothes in a pattern like lichen on stones. Feeling as empty as Vesh looked, Lydikai leaned against the table as well, his arm meeting Vesh's under heavy cloaks. They sat in silence, hearing but not listening to the occasional things said between Taran and Crow. Lydikai felt increasingly troubled by the lack of feeling of accomplishment, and there was something else. He hadn't liked the way Crow had looked at him. Not that he had liked it particularly before either, but now he had flat out disliked it. Had he come here looking for approval? Or had he disliked it because he had felt like he was looking at the stranger? He felt confused. They had saved someone from a terrible situation. Shouldn't that in itself feel good? Shouldn't he like that? With a groan he didn't really mean to let out, he pinched the bridge of his nose, his perpetual headache beginning to feel justified in its attempt at overriding every other sensation. A warmth spread on his shoulder, and he realized that Vesh had put his head there. Lydikai noted, with distinct self-consciousness, the softness of Vesh's cheek being all but pierced by the sharpness of his own thin body. Vesh huffed a little after a while, but kept his head where it was. This is very uncomfortable, he mumbled. Lydikai laughed, genuine, relieved. He reached out to quickly squeeze Vesh's hand before carefully standing up, causing Vesh to have to do the same. On an invisible signal, they walked back towards the other two. Taryn had gone over Crow's superficial injuries as best she could muster and had given them the robe she had worn under her cloak. Crow was in the process of rolling its blood-stained sleeves up. They looked up at the two approaching Ori, and upon seeing Vesh, Crow's bright eyes darted over to Lydikai with a pointed expression that Lydikai felt too tired to try and decipher. But there was something distinctly unkind there. Lydikai decided to chalk it up to the horrible experience of being stuck here. He had, after all, no idea what Crow had been through. That should be enough for at least getting back out of this lair. Taryn said with a sigh, motioning towards Crow. I'm guessing others would have come by now if there were any more of them around, seeing as we somehow managed to make even more noise than that horrible chanting. But I really miss the damp, cold forest right now.